and pro- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. And there came a division among the Jews for Jesus' sayings, and many of them said he has a devil and is mad. Why should you hear him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Could a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Jesus walking in Solomon's porch on the feast of dedication. The Feast of Dedication is a number, another name for Hanukkah. Hanukkah meaning dedication. It was the Feast of Dedication, sometimes called the Feast of Lights. Jews light menorahs during the eight days of Hanukkah. Christians light Christmas trees. Pagans light Christmas trees. Christians light candles. Hanukkah occurs on the 25th day of Kislev. And Christmas occurs, at least as celebrated traditionally, on the 25th of December. What is the similarity between these two other than that? And does it make a difference? Today on Viewpoint, we take a look at Hanukkah, Christmas, and Messiah. Hanukkah, Christmas, and Messiah. We are currently in, what, the fifth day of Hanukkah? It's an eight-day ceremony. Why? Because, well, supposedly... The light, the oil, lasted for eight days as the children of Israel, the Jews, were dedicating or rededicating the temple, a seeming miracle. It was also on the eighth day that Jesus was brought to the temple and circumcised, as required by the Torah. And so today we take a look at Hanukkah, Christmas and Messiah, and it's fascinating because there's a new Lifeway research survey that shows that few Americans can accurately tell the biblical account of Christmas. The same is actually true for Jewish people who cannot accurately tell the real story of Hanukkah. Today you're going to hear both. And I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms, and sometimes tradition gets in the way of truth. Sometimes it helps to accentuate truth, but other times tradition gets in the way of truth and helps to obscure it so that we cannot see or forget the truth that's associated with the so-called tradition. Today we look at tradition and truth. And again, I'm glad that you've joined us. So what about this new LifeWay research survey of Americans concerning Christmas? Well, the survey found that 91% of the respondents celebrate Christmas. Only 9% said they did not celebrate the holiday. But even many of those who aren't as familiar with the story of Jesus' birth find ways to observe the holiday, as we all know. In fact, we've called it the paganization of Christmas. Back in the 1950s, they began to use the term Xmas. 
and people were upset concerning that. Now, Christ has been X'd out of Christmas in large measure throughout America. Yet, in a similar way, the spiritual connection of Hanukkah has also been X'd out by Jewish people worldwide, and particularly in America. While most Americans take part in annual Christmas festivities, only a few of them can give accurate account of Jesus' birth from memory, only 22%. In the Midwest, 94% are more likely to say that they celebrate the annual holiday of Christmas than those lifting, listing, excuse me, living in the Northeast, only 88%. 31% of the respondents to this survey could tell the story of Christmas but miss some details. 17% could not retell any of the story, which is pretty amazing, it seems. In other words, we have virtually abandoned the real story of Christmas and only know it parenthetically as, what should we say, like applehood, uh, uh, motherhood and apple pie as resembling and defining what it means to be an American. While fictional Christmas stories seem to multiply every year, the biblical account of Jesus Christ's birth is unchanged since it was recorded in the Bible. Yet, almost half of Americans do not think they could share the Christmas story somewhat accurately from memory. Wow! And if you can't share somewhat the Christmas story from memory accurately, how in the world are you going to share the message of salvation of Jesus Christ, who came to the earth for one purpose, and that was to save sinners from their sin. Americans with evangelical beliefs were three times more likely to know the story of Jesus' birth than those without evangelical beliefs. So there we are with regard to the Lifeway survey that shows us how far we have actually fallen in this country. Then came this report, the story of Hanukkah happened nearly 2,200 years ago, but its lessons still stand for all people of faith today, as recorded by this article by Rabbi Pinchas Taylor. He calls it, Hanukkah is the eternal triumph of God over secularism. Really? If Hanukkah is the eternal triumph of God over secularism, then what is Christmas? Christmas purportedly celebrates the birth of the Savior. Hanukkah doesn't purport to celebrate the birth of the Savior. In fact, doesn't even recognize a Savior other than Judas Maccabeus and his uh, uh, cohort. So how in the world does Rabbi Pinchas Taylor come to the conclusion that the story of Hanukkah uh, holds lessons that stand for all people of faith today? We'll discover that. We're going to focus in on this in ways perhaps you have not considered in the past. And so I trust that you'll stay tuned. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. So when was the first Christmas? What actually is Christmas? Well, Christmas is a word that's made up of two things, two words, Christ and Mass. 
The mass actually was a Roman Catholic term, uh, and then the celebration of the birth of Christ was shortened into the into the version or word that we understand today, Christ Mass or Christmas. But when was the first recorded celebration of Christmas? Well, as far as we know, it certainly wasn't in the first century church. In fact, it probably was not until the third century. December 25th, 336 was the first recorded celebration of Christmas. And for the first 300 years of the church's existence, even birthdays were not given much emphasis, not even the birth of Christ. Wow! Do you celebrate birthdays today? Is that a pagan practice? Or is it something which should be permitted and even celebrated? We'll talk about these things as we go on today. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. There are myths and conjectures associated with our celebration of Christmas, as we understand it. There are also myths that are celebrated with regard to the celebration of Hanukkah. We're going to take a look at some of those myths as we go on in the program here today. But what we're really looking at is the connecting link, if there is one, between Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Messiah. Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Messiah. And if there is a connection, what is it, and why should it matter to us today? No one knows the day on which Christ was born. No one. Dionysus, Exegus, a 6th century monk who was the first to date all of history from December 25th, the year of our Lord, well, he thought he knew when it was. When a consensus arose years later in the church, the broader Christian church, to celebrate Christ's conception on March 25th, then it was reasonable to celebrate his birth nine months later. Why would they think that uh, his birth was on, or his conception on March 25th? I'm not sure. Really? There's so many rationales, so much reasoning human reasoning that's gone in to try to pinpoint the date of Christ's birth. And now, with the Gregorian calendar having been changed, or at least our references to it, we used to call it A.D., B.C., before Christ and A.D., after Christ. And now, that's been changed to the Common Era. In other words, we have excised not only Christ out of Christmas by using Xmas that began in the 1950s, but then also we have excised Christ even from the calendar. The geniuses that run our educational systems have done that. Many of the pagan customs became associated with Christmas. Christmas stories replaced heathen tales. 
But the practices still hung on. Was there anything wrong with Christmas stories replacing heathen tales? No, nothing whatsoever. Unless, of course, you didn't really believe in the Christmas stories and they were just stories. Candles continued to be lit. What's wrong with the lighting of a candle? Absolutely nothing. It depends on who you light it to. What is your intent in lighting it? And if Christmas, if Christians are lighting candles, then how does that compare to the eight or nine candles of Hanukkah? Nine candles on the candelabra, known as the menorah, the middle one being used to light the various candles on the sides, the eight candles on the sides, representing the eight days of Hanukkah. Light. Christians celebrate light, the light of Christ, but the Jews also celebrate light. Not the light of Christ, but the light of, well, Hanukkah and the oil that purportedly was preserved miraculously so that the menorah could remain lit when the oil failed in the rededication of the temple. And no one is sure, by the way, when the Christmas tree actually came into the picture, but it did originate in Germany. And around the 13th century, Christians added one of the most pleasant touches of all Christmas celebrations when they began to sing Christmas carols. Is there anything wrong with singing Christmas carols? No. One of my favorites is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room so that heaven and earth can sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations learn the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. What a song that is. The Jews also have songs that they sing at Hanukkah. Believe it or not, the Puritans, when they came over here in 1630, forbid those in their lot to practice Christmas. They considered it too pagan. In fact, Governor Bradford there in the uh, Pilgrim, among the Pilgrims, actually threatened New Englanders with work, jail, or fines if they were caught observing Christmas. But then again, they didn't observe birthdays either. To observe a birthday, that was virtually like a sin because it was deemed to be idolatry. To idolize an individual, a person. Question, is it idolatry to celebrate a person's birthday? Well, I suppose it depends upon why you're celebrating it. Are you really lifting up that person in an idolatrous fashion, in competition with God himself? Or are you celebrating and giving remembrance and joy to that particular person who is in your midst and the value that they present? You see, we have a lot of problems, and over the past 20-some years, those kinds of problems have echoed back and forth among professing Christians even as we've talked about Christmas. Some said, it came to the conclusion that 
well, if the Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas, then it must be wicked. It must be uh, something that should not be celebrated, and therefore we should repudiate it as pagan. The same happened with regard to Christmas trees. There is one passage in the book of Jeremiah, one particular verse that talks about how the uh, Jewish people began to emulate what pagans were doing and erecting trees and hanging silver and gold on them and so on and actually worshiping them. Do you worship a Christmas tree? I certainly have never worshiped a Christmas tree. Never have and never would, never will. But if you watch at the evolution of Christmas trees, you see that they are changing dramatically in their decorations to look more and more and more like a pagan version, no longer looking like a winter tree, but looking more and more like silver and gold and all kinds of uh, strange colors and so on. Oh, they may look pretty, but the focus is changing, isn't it? My wife and I decided a number of years ago to remove the Christmas tree, per se, from our home, not because we thought it was evil or wicked, but because there were those in our house church congregation that, well, they just were troubled by it. So we decided, okay, we'll remove that. And so instead what we did, we placed a beautiful representation of a, uh, you know, the birth of Jesus in the manger and so on with lighted wise men and so on with uh, green trees behind it that were non-decorated. They just had lights on them and so on, bringing focus to the birth of the Lord, which was what the day was supposed to be about. This year, my wife and I have discussed this and decided that whether it was right or wrong was not the issue. We just decided not to use the manger scene again with all of the wise men and so on because we wanted to bring the ultimate focus to the real purpose ultimately in the trajectory of history as it comes before us, and that is the second coming of Christ. So we asked a particular uh, uh, Christian artist to put together a beautiful painting that we would hang so it would be front row center displaying in uh, as best way it could be imagined the second coming of Jesus Christ on that white horse as described in the book of Revelation chapter 19. We're still celebrating Christmas, the birth of the just one, the birth of the Savior, but he didn't die to remain in the manger. And so we tried to keep the main thing, the main thing. Question, do you try to keep the main thing, the main thing in your life? It's becoming harder and harder, isn't it? As we see the paganization of the world, and we even increasingly are looking to salvation to come from our government. And so we actually are looking to political saviors to come in. Presidents, senators, congresspeople, governors. 
We're looking to political saviors to come in and deliver us from the pagans, the Romans of our day. Or the Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greeks of our day. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. That's exactly what happened with the Jewish people because during the period of time, a couple of centuries, actually uh, three centuries before Christ, we, there was a fellow by the name of um, Alexander the Great. Remember him? Alexander the Great that took over the world in an expeditious, amazing sweep of the world and converted the world under, as a Grecian empire, but spread a philosophy of life called Hellenism. Why don't you just say that out loud wherever you are? Hellenism. Hellenism. And in order to understand Hanukkah, you have to understand Hellenism. But in reality, in order to understand what's happened to Christmas, you also have to understand the spirit of Hellenism. Because Hellenism not only took over Israel, or much of Israel, even the uh, so-called believing Jewish people, believing in uh, the Torah, believing in the God of Israel and so on, Hellenism began to take over. Similarly, in America, Hellenism has taken over. It's the worship of the culture. It's also the, shall we say, the full-fledged embracing of a culture that does not embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the God of history. Therefore, it embraces the culture as a false god. And that's what was happening with Hellenism. In the United States, especially Hanukkah, became a widely recognized holiday. Actually, it was a minor Jewish holiday. It wasn't even one of the seven feasts of the Lord. It was a minor Jewish holiday. But people will say, well, even Jesus observed the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. Yes, he was walking in the temple on the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. Okay? To what extent was he actually observing Hanukkah? We don't know. Because there's only one verse in the Bible that gives us a hint that Jesus paid any attention to or even knew about the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. But if you grew up in Israel, in those days, you had to know about it. Therefore, it's reasonably to presume that Jesus not only knew about it, but actually was willing to go along with the cultural tradition of the celebration of Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication. It was a cultural tradition. It wasn't a holy mandate. And uh, so Jesus went along with that. There was nothing inherently wrong or sinful or unrighteous about it. In fact, it was, in fact, a celebration of an uprising against paganism, then called Hellenism. But Hanukkah's even entered American popular culture today. The president hosts an annual Hanukkah party in the White House, the lighting of the National Menorah in Washington, D.C. 
In big cities like New York, parents of Jewish children are invited into elementary school classrooms to explain Hanukkah to the students. You can't explain Jesus in salvation, but you can't explain Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah was deemed to be, well, a minority's holiday. So Hanukkah's even entered into American popular culture. The classic children's Hanukkah song, Dreidel, 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 has appeared in episodes of television programs. But in the Jewish calendar, Hanukkah is of relatively minor religious significance compared with the biblical festival of Passover or the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So why has Hanukkah become the most widely known and publicly celebrated of all Jewish holidays, particularly in the United States? That, my friends, is a probing question. We need to answer that question because it helps us to understand the connection between Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Messiah. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today, we're taking a look at Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Messiah. What is the connection, if any, and why might it be important for us to understand it in order to understand our world and in order to understand the trajectory of history and prophecy? Interestingly, Hanukkah was not prophesied in the Old Testament, It's an event that took place, actually, it's the celebration of a series of events culminating in a single event with regard to the dedication or rededication of the temple. But you will not find any description of it in the Bible, at least not in the Bible that most of us have. You might find it in the Catholic Bible in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. First and Second Maccabees, they're historical books that describe the military and political events leading up to and following the Maccabean revolt. Why did the Maccabees revolt? That's the question. Why did the Maccabees revolt? Well, the Maccabees represented like a super, uh, how would we describe it? vigilant, super uh, fundamentalist Jewish people. And they began to see what was happening as Hellenism was 
making its inroads into and among the Jewish people. And they didn't like it. They saw how Antiochus Epiphanes, as the head of the Seleucid Empire, which was one-fourth of the former empire of uh, Alexander the Great. His empire had been divided into four parts, and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes inherited one of those that involved and dealt with Syria and with uh, Jerusalem, Israel, and so on. So this Hellenistic spirit, which was a godless spirit, a pagan spirit, you you could say spearheaded by Antiochus Epiphanes, which basically kinds of means the the, the express presence of God. So the title itself was, in effect, massive idolatry. But there were lawless men that came from Israel and were misleading many of the Jewish people, saying, let's go and let's make a covenant with the Gentiles round about us. That is, these Hellenistic, Greek-oriented Gentiles, they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, and they removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil, according to the Maccabees, in the book of First Maccabees. So they were lawless men. They were not the Seleucid uh, rulers, but Jews who wanted to integrate aspects of Greek or Hellenistic culture with Jewish tradition. In other words, they wanted to merge. They wanted to pretend, let's let's bring this into our understanding here in America. They wanted to have, they wanted to straddle the fence and have their feet in two worlds. They wanted to be Jews on the one hand with all of the uh, traditions that went with that, customs and traditions, but they also wanted all of the seeming benefits of the Hellenistic, secular, pagan world. Doesn't that sound like America today? Doesn't that sound an awful like so-called Christians in America today? You got that right. That's one of the big problems that we have. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and precious few there will be that find it. Because you can't straddle the fence. You can't be a pagan on one hand and a Christian on the other. You have to choose. As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That choice is before us big time right now. And the further we move toward the second coming and the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the more difficult and challenging that choice is going to become and is becoming. We see it taking place everywhere. The adoption of the spirit of wokeness among Christians and among their pastors is proof positive, friends, that they are adopting modern Hellenism in the church. They want to look like the rest of the world. They want the rest of the world to accept us as one of them 
while claiming to be different. That's exactly what was happening in Israel. And the Maccabees were very upset with this. Very upset. So these Hellenizing Jews were the targets of the Maccabees' attacks as much as the Seleucid Greek regime was. So the Maccabees organized an army, and they struck down these Jewish sinners in their angry and the lawless men in their wrath, and the survivors fled to the Gentiles for safety. That's what happened. Some would say that the Maccabees were not historic liberators and defenders of religious freedom as they're presented, but actually were intolerant religious zealots trying to stamp out any attempt to modernize Jewish tradition. Think about those words. I didn't make those words up. They came in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Excuse me, I'm wrong. They came in an article written concerning the matter of Hanukkah and trying to understand the dynamics of what were taking place there in Israel at that time. When this writer says that those Maccabees were not historic liberators and defenders of religious freedom, but rather intolerant religious zealots trying to stamp out any attempt to modernize Jewish tradition, what they are actually saying is, by implication, that any Christian today in America who attempts to stand for biblical righteousness and oppose unrighteousness and behavior and attitudes and practices that God in his word has said that he hates, you then, we then, are intolerant religious zealots. And that we, in turn, are the ones to be stamped out, not the Hellenists. Do you see that we have this exact same situation going on in America today and has been growing during my lifetime? My wife and I have been watching this grow from California to Richmond, Virginia, and in very other various other places. We've been watching this grow. And today, this confrontation is every bit as significant as it was in the days of the Maccabees when they began as guerrilla warfare to attack the the, uh, Seleucid Empire and Antiochus Epiphanes and his soldiers. Then came the great battle in which the temple itself, the temple itself began to be uh, the focus And when the temple became the the focus, and Antiochus Epiphanes decided he had enough of the resistance of the Maccabees, who had been successful beyond all measure in opposing this Hellenism, and defeating the Maccabean, excuse me, defeating the uh, Hellenistic troops of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes decided enough of this, 
and he came in and destroyed the temple and then erected an altar to Zeus, the ultimate pagan god, and offered swine, the ultimate desecration upon the altar in the temple. Now, what do you think is happening today? Is that not symbolically what is happening today, even in our churches, certainly in our country? The so-called moral majority that rose up in the late 1970s and continued on and embraced what was called the culture wars are an expression in America of what was happening with the Maccabees fighting off the Hellenism of the Greeks. Where are we today? Where were they? Well, ultimately, the Maccabees defeated Antiochus Epiphanes, and they rebuilt the temple, they cleansed it, and then they had a celebration with the lighting of the menorah. But they didn't have enough oil. Or so the story goes. And so the theoretical celebration of Hanukkah is that God miraculously provided sufficient oil for the celebration to last eight days. So they're called the eight days of Hanukkah. The dedication of the temple. Well, the temple needed to be dedicated. Our temple needs to be dedicated today, doesn't it? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, my friends? Do you not think, perhaps, that we should be cleansing the temple today, in reality? Cleansing it of the Hellenistic spread of unrighteousness and wickedness, which the New Testament calls worldliness? This, then, is why the Messiah came. Because without him, we would never ultimately be able to cleanse the temple. We'll be right back. Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Messiah. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Why do the Jews light menorahs during the eight days of Hanukkah, one for each day? 
Well, it's a tradition. It's a tradition to celebrate a myth, actually, that has no support in history. And that is the myth of the eight days of oil or light that was provided in order because the the oil ran short and a miracle occurred to supply the eight days of oil so to keep the lamp burning. There is no historical support for that. But there is historical support for the effort to purge the temple, for the effort to purge Hellenism from Jewish life and to keep the worship of the Jewish people pure. That was really the focus of the Maccabees, and the Hanukkah celebration is really only somewhat of a superficial, or although uh, you can, because of the light, because of the menorah, and so on, it becomes a tradition that is has caught the entire world now by storm, and particularly in America. Now, here's what's interesting. Diane Ashton is an American religious historian, and she's traced the history of Hanukkah in the United States and described how Jews have transformed Hanukkah in the past two centuries to reflect the evolving traditions of Christmas. So inspired by children's Christmas events in churches, American rabbis began introducing special Hanukkah celebrations for children at synagogues in the 19th century. That was in the 1800s. And they would tell the story of Hanukkah, light candles, sing hymns, and hand out sweets. It kind of enticed the children to attend the synagogues. And over time, Hanukkah became one of the only times of the year that many Jewish families engaged with Jewish tradition because it really was not seen as a particularly spiritually oriented holiday at that point. Giving gift giving was never a feature of Hanukkah historically, but new Jewish immigrants from Europe began buying presents for their, their kids as a way of signifying their economic success in the new world. And then in more recent years, the public display of menorahs has also been promoted by even the most fundamentalist Orthodox Jewish movement called Hasidic or Chabad. So this has actually invaded the most fundamentalist Jewish expression in the world, the Hasidic movement. These displays, often alongside Christmas trees, have elevated the significance of Hanukkah in the minds of both Jews and non-Jews. Now, over time, American Jews have thus remade Hanukkah in the image of Christmas. And that enabled them to participate in the festive season in a way that was distinctly Jewish. So how about the giving of gifts? The giving of gifts to kids? Well, it's become common on Hanukkah. Though nowhere has Hanukkah reached the level of commercialism that it has in the United States. What happens? Parents, grandparents, on every night or day of Hanukkah, 
give another gift to the kids. So it's not like the Christian celebration of Christmas where gift-giving takes place, say, on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning, day, but rather gift-giving occurs every day for eight days with Hanukkah. Now, for any other Jewish festival, like the seven feasts of the Lord, that might be seen as a corrupting influence. But given that Hanukkah remains for most Jews a relatively minor holiday, it doesn't take on that understanding at all. It's just accepted as what it means to be an American. In other words, Israel has once again allowed itself to become Hellenized. And Christians have done the same. It's interesting. It's fascinating to see how history marches on and we are repeating history. All right. Let's talk about Jesus then, Messiah and Hanukkah. We know that the only mention of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication is in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter, and then Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's the only mention. mention. It doesn't reveal any particular importance that Jesus devoted to it, just that he recognized it. However, Jesus used the symbolism of Hanukkah in other ways in his reaching to the Jewish people and trying to help them to understand why the word light and the concept of light was so important if they were to understand the Messiah. Remember, Jesus said, in one place, I am the light of the world. In another place, he says, you're the light of the world. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, he turned around and said, you're the light of the world. Don't put your light on a candlestick and then put a bushel over it. Don't hide your light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This matter of light is a big deal. It's a very big deal, in fact, because in the very first chapter of the Bible, God said, let there be light. Because before that, the world was in total darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. He's still saying, let there be light today. But that light has to shine through your life and mine. God had intended for that light to shine particularly through the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
They were to be the light bearers. They were to be the light bearers by obeying God, living according to his word, his will, and his ways, his precepts. But they didn't. Over and over again, God in his mercy and compassion sent forth prophets to woo and to warn and to encourage the people to come back and live in the light. And they would not. If you go to the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul saying exactly the same thing to Christians. You find the Apostle Peter saying exactly the same thing to Christians. You're a holy people, a royal, a royal people. You're supposed to show and reflect God's light. You aren't God's light. You are to reflect God's light. In some respects, you and I are to be lighthouses everywhere we go. The Jewish people were to be a lighthouse everywhere they went, but they have not been. And when truth is revealed in genuine, serious conversation with the rabbis, that is, Orthodox rabbis, they will admit that. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And therein lies the problem. Because to this day, those very same rabbis who admit that Israel failed to bear the light that they were supposed to bear, reject the one who came as the light of the world. Therefore, they remain in darkness. Now, to the extent the professing Christians also reject the light of the world. In other words, reject what Jesus has said, what he lived, how he lived, the truth that he said, and refuse to obey it to that extent, we also are living like Jews who rejected Messiah. We can light our candles all we want on Christmas. It's a wonderful tradition. The Jews, the Jewish people can light their menorahs every season of Hanukkah. Wonderful tradition. But it does nothing to change the heart. Because the heart of the matter is the heart, and that's what the coming of Messiah was about. He said in his Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whoever has looked upon a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. You see, Jesus came to shine the light in the darkness. He came to shine the light into our Hellenistic world, into our worldly thinking and world that like to play religious traditional games to justify ourselves, but refused to live according to the word, the will, and the ways of God, who said, let there be light. So the question then is, 
Are you a light bearer? Am I a light bearer? Christopher Columbus, when he sailed, quoted a passage in Isaiah that talked about uh, being a light bearer. Christopher Columbus actually wrote in his journal that he felt that what God had called him and motivated him to do was a fulfillment in some part of spreading that light across the world. Is it any wonder then that the Hellenizers of today want to take down his statue? They want to take down the statues of everyone who is seen to bring light into our Hellenistic world. Christian or not, doesn't matter to them. They are like miniature Antiochus Epiphanes, thinking that they're God in the flesh. And that's where our problem is today. The Jewish people, through the Maccabees, wanted to glorify God by purifying the temple. That was a good thing. But the scripture says the Lord God doesn't live in temples made with hands. Ultimately, God made clear that you and I are to be living temples. Therefore, our light should reflect the light of Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Anointed One. Is it any wonder, then, that Isaiah should write in chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles, unbelievers, shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. That was a word for Israel. But we're grafted in. If, indeed, we're cleansing the temple. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I hope this has been helpful to understand not only the history, but the relevance, because it's time to prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming only for those who have cleansed the temple. God bless. Be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.